the speaker did an open records request of the university system and identified, they identified 227, I believe, DEI positions within the UW system with salaries totaling actually more than $16 million. And this doesn't include offices or staff or program costs or anything else. This is just simply that one person's salary. This is Christian Gomez for the New American Magazine. I'm happy to have today here on the program uh, two Wisconsin state representatives, uh, Dave Murphy and Ty Bodden. Uh, thank you uh, both for joining us here today. Yeah, pleasure to be here, Christian. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. So um, let's start with you, Dave. You're working on, you were just telling me a bit a bit uh, before we started this interview about a cash bill that, that you're working on. I think that Ty will be co-sponsoring that with you in the legislature. Can you tell us a bit about the bill and the importance of of getting that passed here in the state? Sure, so that is a bill about, um, that would require retailers to accept cash for payment on goods. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of places nowadays that are requiring credit cards. There are big venues around the state like the Green Bay Packers Stadium, uh, Summerfest, uh, that require credit cards. And- And won't I, accept cash. And won't accept cash, and it, it's, it's, it's an issue to me because I don't think the government should be promoting people getting credit. I mean, that's, that's just not something the government should do, number one. Uh, number two is we have, uh, our currency says that it's legal tender for all debts, public and private. And I think when we print that on our money, that should mean something. And so I think people should be able to use cash. And uh, let's face it, uh, there are people in this state that are poor and can't afford or can't get a credit card and probably shouldn't get a credit card. And uh, if they want to go to certain venues, um, they're locked out. So, so do you have an idea how Governor Evers, the state's a Democratic governor, how he feels about uh, this issue and, and your bill? I'm not sure. Um, I think that that is a bill that he might sign. Uh, he will get pressure from uh, some large organizations to, to not sign it. But I think he will also get some pressure from some Democrats because I've had, I've had Democrats that tell me that they would uh, co-sponsor on this bill. Um, they uh, have minority constituencies. Uh, they have constituents that, uh, that aren't wealthy, and uh, many of them don't have credit cards. Um, and so this is uh, something that would help them quite a bit too. And even some people who are well-to-do who followed like Dave Ramsey's advice don't have credit cards because they Cut choose, up the credit cards, yeah, exactly. They don't, they don't want to have exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so do you foresee, uh, either of you, that there is a push from the Federal Reserve, from the Biden administration or whoever, to move us in a cashless, uh, in the direction of a cashless society, and a bill like this would stem that from happening, at least here in Wisconsin? Well, I've certainly thought about that in, in, in drafting this bill. Um, I, I, you know, the, the whole thing about, you know, where the Biden administration may be at with, uh, with uh, going cashless or going to a digital currency or whatever, I, I really don't have any, any good uh, idea of what they're doing. But um, I, I do see it as a bit of a pushback on something like that. There are states around the country that are 
passing bills, they're being signed into law that essentially ban uh, digital currency, um, CBDC, uh, digital currency in the state, just because we they don't trust the government. They fear government will freeze their accounts. And I think Dave's bill here is a, uh, a good pushback towards that. So I, I, would, we might, I might try to try to introduce a bill like that in the state of Wisconsin. I was just going to say, it sounds like a good idea for something yeah. both that you could team up on uh, on trying to prevent CBDs from, be, from being the uh, used yeah. in this state in place of cash. Other sure. states have passed it, and there has been bipartisan support on that as well. We'll, I guess, have to talk more about that. Uh, we got to find a senator to get that out. But, yeah, I think it's a strong possibility. We could try to get that out here. Absolutely. That's great. Um, you, you mentioned before that this is a bill, the ca- your cash bill is one you think you can get Democrats on. And that's important because having uh, a Democrat as the governor, well, whatever whatever either of you pass in the legislature has to get uh, his signature in order to become law in the state. Exactly. And then you have the uh, new leftist leaning court just hovering in the background waiting to strike down anything that may be unconstitutional in their perception. So I have a question. What do either of you, um, what do you, what do you think in terms of um, what can, what can be accomplished when it comes to passing legislation, despite having a democratic governor and a, and a left leaning uh, Supreme court, where are some areas that you see, we could see some positive um, legislation passed despite those obstacles in place. I, Okay, I can go first. On this. One thing that we want, the governor wants, the Republicans want, is tax cut, substantial tax cut. We have part of our surplus, so I'm sure there'll be conversations about that. Uh, there are other, I don't know, the governor's been more in tune to sign something uh, to address crime issues in the state. He signed some Republican bills addressing crime and uh, reckless driving, so maybe the governor will be willing to sign something crime-related. There are so, I'm working on an election bill right now where there are Democrat clerks that are in support of it, so hopefully that would push uh, push the governor to sign that. There, there, there are things out there. We just like, like you kind of mentioned, we just need to get some Democrats on board. Uh, it could still be good policy. They might have different reasons for supporting it than we do. Uh, if, that, if that gets it done, I'm good with that. So uh, I chair the Colleges and Universities Committee in the legislature. We did a series of hearings on free speech on the campuses. Uh, there was a survey done of of student perceptions of free speech, and and uh, it showed that Republican and conservative students felt like they their viewpoints were not uh, welcome on campus, so to speak. And so we're going to be doing legislation on free speech. Um, I I'd, I'd like to think that this could put the governor in kind of a tough spot. Um, vetoing bills on free speech um, doesn't look very good. Um, you know, most Democrats want to say that they support free speech, uh, but there always seems to be a but after they say, yeah, we support free speech, but. And there's lots of qualifiers there, Christian. <laughs> yeah, one of the popular examples is uh, you shouldn't be allowed to shout the word fire in, in a crowded movie theater. But that's the kind of free speech that you're talking about. You're, you're talking about being able to express your political viewpoint in, 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 in the confines of our Republican system of government, where people should be allowed to express their views and have debate on various topics. And um, speaking of the college campuses, about 10 years ago, or maybe 15 years ago, it was very common that a lot of colleges started to have uh, 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 safe space zones for those of 
the LGBTQ persuasion with the thought that they felt ostracized, so they have a safe place for their speech. But now it seems like the reverse has happened. Their type of um, thinking and ideology has become the predominant ideology on the college campus. And now the conservatives are the ones who seem to be in search of a, of a safe space of their own. So what can Or at be... least a platform. Uh, yeah. At least the, the opportunity to be able to speak. I think conservatives and Republicans on campus don't want safe spaces. They don't want to be protected, but they do want the opportunity to be able to speak out. And a good example of that was on the UW-Madison campus last spring when Matt Walsh was there. And uh, they did everything that they could to try to make sure that Matt Walsh um, you know, didn't get to speak or didn't get to speak to very many people. Uh, there, is, there is a young woman who was a, actually a teaching assistant who went and tore down all of the Matt Walsh uh, posters uh, some 40-plus posters that she tore down. Well, when you're tearing down somebody's posters and advertisements of their event, that is censorship. That is a violation of free speech rights, and that's exactly the kind of thing that we would like to, to bring an end to on our university campuses. What about diversity, equity, and inclusion, the DEI officers? Uh, <laughs> What are your thoughts on that? And uh, is there any realistic chance we can get rid of them from the college campuses, <laughs> at least in the in, at least when it comes to the, the UW colleges in the state? Well, in the in the free speech hearings I had uh, this year, uh, President Jay Rothman from the university system uh, made an announcement at one of the hearings that professors or that uh, when uh, when they're hiring professors, they were no longer going to ask them for a DEI statement, which meant, uh, you know, the, 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 they had been asking um, professorial candidates to, to tell them about their, their DEI credentials, so to speak. And so that, that was taken off the table. I mean, we want to do a lot more on that. And um, so, um, for instance, uh, just in the last two weeks, Yubi Oshkosh announced that it needed to cut $18 million from their budget. Now, um, they came up with some furloughs and the like, but I asked leadership in the system, I said, well, how many DEI positions are going to be cut? Well, we don't know that yet, they said, because, you know, we, we started out with the furloughs, um, and we, we haven't decided on the actual staff cuts yet. But, you know, these universities, their numbers are going down the number of students, and let's face it, I mean, if you have less students, you need to have less people there. So, but then again, is it going to be instructional staff that you're cutting, or can we go over here and cut some of this DEI staff? And one of the things I've said about this DEI, they can't show me any benefit from it. We spend millions and millions of dollars, and Where's the benefit? Yeah, are they just sitting in their offices all day collecting a paycheck with very little student interaction? We, and is that interaction even beneficial? We well, did try to cut in the budget, yes. the state budget this year. We tried to cut $32 million worth of positions, DEI positions in the university system. 
Uh, unfortunately, the governor vetoed that, but the funding was still withheld. So they just moved funding around, obviously. But attempt was made. The attempt was made. The governor won't go for it. So unless until we have a Republican governor, I think that's it's going to be a tough one. It's going to yep. be handled by the university. Maybe there'll be tough decisions they'll have to make. Dave works really closely with the universities. He knows more than most on this issue. But. Well, in the cuts, uh, as as Ty said, that the cuts thirty two million. Uh, over two years, so $16 million a year for DEI positions. And uh, the speaker did an open records request of the university system and identified, they identified 227, I believe, DEI positions within the UW system with salaries totaling actually more than $16 million. And this doesn't include offices or staff or program costs or anything else. This is just simply that one person's salary. So. Speaking of the UW system, there's a professor in the, in the UW, I believe Madison, who's been doing some, uh, um, who's been the lead professor in the state when it comes to gain of function research. And Ty, I believe that you're working on a bill or you have the bill introduced uh, yep. that would uh, stop the gain of function uh, research in, in the state of Wisconsin. Can you tell us a bit about the importance of that bill and where it stands right now in the legislature and any pushback you've been getting, especially from Democrats on that issue. Yeah, done a lot of talking about that in this room. I was here with Paul last week, uh, Paul Dragu, talking about this. Co-sponsorship is closed, I believe. Uh, Dave co-sponsored, so thank you, Dave. Yep, led by Senator Andre Jock and Elijah Benke, uh, Representative Elijah Benke. Uh, I was actually the, the number two on the bill. But there has been some some situations at the UW uh, UW Madison where some issues that are that came about with their gain of function research were not uh, reported properly. Some situations that could could lead to uh, some catastrophic uh, losses if if something came out. We know what happened with the uh, with COVID vaccine and the COVID and the COVID leak uh, in Wuhan. So this is kind of we don't want ground zero to be in Wisconsin if the next pandemic were to arrive. Uh, we don't want anything leaked out. Um, this kind of function research is to basically, it's, it's to, it's research used to mutate viruses, which is unnecessary. You, you, you see this, I've seen it on Twitter a lot lately. Uh, a lot of doctors and uh, other professionals saying gain of function research is unnecessary. Uh, viruses mutate by themselves. This is just a dangerous game that we're playing and, uh, especially when you got a university system that is very reckless, when you got a leader of the research program there that uh, is more about asking for forgiveness than permission. I think when you're dealing with deadly viruses, that's uh, that's uncalled for. So that's why we want to put an end to it. And this was a bad situation at UW. I mean, they they specifically had issues, um, and and so I mean, this isn't a, a bill just to grab headlines or that comes out of the blue. I think Ty, uh, I, I I applaud them for for what they're doing. And this is a fool me twice kind of thing. I mean, we've, 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 uh, we've dealt with gain the function and we know what can happen. And what were some of the issues uh, that, that, that have happened here in Wisconsin with, uh, with the, with the, with that one laboratory? One of them was researchers were exposed to a variant of the bird flu and that could have been bird flu. Yes. Could have been a bad situation there. There's some other uh, reporting they issues. They didn't quarantine the people yeah. that got exposed. Wow. They've been fined tens of thousands of dollars for other issues, and too. And they're still operating, yep. even right now. Correct, yep. Wow. 
That's that's scary. But yeah. praise the Lord, we have people like you that are on top of it and at least trying to stop it. Obviously, the, there's always the potential that Governor Evers could um, could veto this. Uh, one of the arguments made in favor of gain-of-function research is the thought, like you said before, viruses naturally do mutate over time. So if scientists can manipulate and engineer them to mutate a little faster than, than what they should, the theory or the thought supposedly is that maybe they can catch future diseases before they naturally manifest themselves supposedly in nature, and we may have cures for them in advance so what are your thoughts on that line of reasoning used to justify gain-of-function research? Is it worth the risk? You hear that viruses mutate in multiple different ways, so you really can't predict it. I mean, even with different uh, flus and colds, they always think they can predict the next, the next flu, the next, what the next variant would be of something, and it's rarely correct. So they're pretty much just playing with fire and taking a guess. And Well, I think they're trying to solve a hypothetical and I don't know that they've done anything, and yet we have had a virus that caused a worldwide pandemic and came out of a, a gain-of-function research lab. So <laughs> we, know, we know where we had a real problem, and we're looking at the other side of it and say, well, you know, possibly we might be able to fix this, you know, this different problem. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Excellent uh, points there. Um, so, so, with regards to um, Governor Evers, you both mentioned, well, it was Ty that mentioned that in the budget, you were trying to cut the DEI, uh, uh, cut that from the budget, but Governor Evers uh, vetoed some of that. Governor Evers made headlines when he vetoed not just words and sentences, but even even letters to to, to, to shape things in a dashes. way. Dashes, yeah, dashes. Yeah. The dash. <laughs> just so it could sound like something he would be more comfortable signing into law. Mm -hmm. So how does that affect the way that either of you uh, view um, crafting budgets in the future? And and what are your thoughts on uh, on how to go about doing that, assuming? Evers is the governor still in the future, next year, or another Democrat uh, replaces him and, and you both are still in office, hypothetically. We read through these budgets word for word to try to figure those things out. I don't know how that kind of slipped past. But one thing I will say is sometimes the left goes so far and they outfox themselves. So the whole idea of, of taking a dash out between 24-25 uh, and making it the year 2425 and saying that that school funding is going to go for 400 years people don't like that uh, he, people that's not popular so he outfoxed himself might, it might not be enough in 400 years oh. <laughs> yeah that'll uh, probably be pocket changing exactly <laughs> with inflation one could only wonder what exactly. that would look like in the 25th century he even knows i i guarantee he knows that that's never going to go and it's not going to last 402 years at some point the legislature will correct that of and course. that won't be uh that won't be a thing he's he signed some things into law that um he agreed to negotiating with the legislature obviously being split where he compromised maybe some of his values when it comes to education funding more of the the choice program, so I think this was a, a huge overcorrection. And he, he, the reason I don't think it was, we thought it would be that big of, we didn't think he'd do this because there was an agreement that he would. There was a a, a per pupil dollar amount an agreement. Um, and I'll tell you how he outfoxed himself is 
doing what he did, he thought was payback to the teachers union. And I don't think he realized that the general public, when they saw that, was going to say, well, that's really stupid. <laughs> and that's, I think that's it in a nutshell. Well, uh, we're running low on time, but a big, a big question, uh, a big topic that's looming over the state of Wisconsin, and, and, and it has national media looking at the state of Wisconsin, is uh, the recent election with the Supreme Court and now the recent inauguration of the new uh, judge, uh, Janet Protosewicz, uh, which now gives the Supreme Court a, a left-leaning advantage. And there's already been lawsuits filed to change the maps for the state legislature and uh, potentially also the U.S. Congress. So what can, is there anything actually that, that the legislature, that, that the Republican legislature can do to prevent the left and, and the courts and even the governor from shoehorning and pushing in a new left-leaning map? Uh, uh, what can we expect? What kind of uphill, what kind of battle can we expect to try to keep the map that we have or at least something similar to what we currently have? Well, there's some talk about, uh, about whether you could uh, impeach Janet Protasiewicz. And, uh, you know, you could, but you have to wait for her to do something wrong. <laughs> yes. And doing something wrong would be not recusing yourself from, uh, from a case on the redistricting maps because during the election, she said that our redistricting maps were rigged. That's a judge that has already made up their mind and has, has shown that they have a bias in that, on that issue. And when you do that, you need to recuse yourself because y you can't make an unbiased uh, decision on that case anymore. Yep. So assuming she does not recuse herself, what would be, what are some tools or options for the state legislature that you can use to try to enforce her from opining on that decision? So the, the impeachment process uh, is, is somewhat similar to what it is in Washington in that uh, impeachment starts, impeachment itself is actually an indictment. Um, and so the, the impeachment would be on a majority vote in the assembly, and then it would go to a trial in the Senate, but in the Senate then they would need a two-thirds majority. Which they have. Which Republicans have a two-third majority. But I, I, I think on an issue like that, you can't always guarantee that you get everybody. Uh, I, I would like to think that we could. Um, I think, I, I think what, what she has done, uh, Janet Proceda, which has done as a candidate, is wrong. That should never happen again. Uh, no conservative candidate ever has has told the public how they would, uh, how they would uh, vote uh, or how they would come down on issues. A lot of That's wrong. conversation I've heard is that since she is a sitting judge already, she was a sitting judge prior, Milwaukee, mm -hmm. even, even, even compromising her ethics, even at that level talking about it, uh, is something that is um, really uh, not professional, not right. So that's where the conversation, we're already hearing conversations from some, some of our leaders in the party about uh, impeachment. So we'll just kind of see. We'll just wait it out and see what happens. See and what happens. Uh, when something does happen, like to hear both your opinions on it 
in the future. Well, we're yeah. out of time, so thank you both of you uh, gentlemen for uh, joining us here today and sharing what's happening in the state and what to look forward to in the state as well. So God bless you both. Take care and Godspeed. Thank you, Christian. Thank you. is the cure. You're dead on. This is the largest experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. The more you know. What they're doing is they're forcing vaccination on people, and I believe they are killing people with this vaccination. The freer you are. It's murder. They are basically murdering people in hospitals. The all-cause mortality we know is now higher in the vaccinated group than the unvaccinated group. Stay informed on the issues that affect freedom. Get a subscription to The New American today. TheNewAmerican.com